Welcome to episode 148 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumer consumers from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 148 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. Jen, do you think we should do something for episode 150? Maybe. Okay. We did do something for episode 100. Or should we just wait till 200? I don't know. We've got a long way to go. It's like a year. We're a year away from 200. I know. I don't know. Is 150 a milestone? Well, I don't know. I mean, we're literally one year away, 52 weeks. Oh, then maybe we can just wait till 200. Okay. See you next year. All right. See you in a year. Next February, or, or it's going to be on. Yep. Yep. We got a year to plan something. There you go. How are you doing today? 
I am good. How about you? Well, we're falling victim to the while you're here of the contractor tactics. While you're here, let's paint the entire house. I'm not kidding. That's what we're doing. (laughs) Kind of like at the nail salon, like while you're here, let's do this as well to your nails. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, you know, our contractor loves us. But anyway, the house needed to be painted because listen to this. The house was built in 79. And based on some of the damage on the walls where I had like a command strip and it peeled off the wallboard, he looked really closely and he discovered that the coat of paint that is on the entire house, other than the rooms that have been updated, like wallpapered or freshly painted, most of the house has not. It's the original paint from 1979. No one has ever added any more paint. (laughs) That paint might have lead in it. Well, no, they were not putting they were not putting lead in. We're we're past the deadline for all that, so that's good. But yeah, but everything is super dusty because they've scraped all the popcorn off. Most of the rooms, some of the rooms, it was fine, like in in you know a bedroom. But huh. anyway, so he's we've added painting the walls to the <laughs> scope of work, and uh, my husband has a little bit of color blindness. He's like got a yellow blue color blindness that I had never even heard of, but I realized it lately when we were trying to pick out a paint color and he saw it very differently than me, just from, I could tell from the way he was talking about it. So I would like for you to imagine how hard it is to choose paint colors with someone who has a type of color blindness. I imagine that might be difficult. And to be fair, you know, I want to say, part of me wants to say, stop giving opinions. Your opinion doesn't matter because you can't see this properly, Right. But he has to look at it every day and live with it. So you don't want him to have to look at something and think it's hideous. So there's the dilemma. He can't see what it really looks like, but he deserves to not hate it. Anyway, I didn't even know that this yellow-blue colorblindness was a thing, but we have a son that has red-green colorblindness to a degree. And so, you know, they have those online colorblindness tests. Have you ever done one of those? Yes, I have. And I did one when I got LASIK. They did it for me. We painted the kitchen this gray color, and he was going on and on and on about how it looked like this blue. It looked so blue. He was talking about how blue it was, and I'm like, this is gray. It is not blue. And he was insisting it was like this powdery baby blue, and it is not. So I was like, you know, Will's got this color blindness. Let's do this online test just to see if something's off with your color perception. And I sat there while he took it. And you get to the ones that are for his specific type of colorblindness. And he's like, there's nothing there. There's nothing in that circle. I'm like, it's the number seven. Yes, it's there. He could not see it, but I could. And at the end, he said he had, they said he had this yellow blue colorblindness. It's very, very rare. And it means that you see everything bluer than it really is. I'm like, well, that explains a lot. So if it's really rare, is it possible? Does it not show up on like those other tests? I don't know. I'm not sure. I just didn't even know it was a thing. But it came back and he was like, oh, (laughs) that's interesting. I mean, he's, you know, what, 49 years old and he never had any idea till now. I'm just thinking about how our language affects what we can see. And apparently in like some cultures, they have different words for different colors and they can see different colors we can't see because they have words for it. I don't know exactly what it is. I think there's one culture where like blue is like a really big deal to them. So they have like, they can see like different blues that we can't see. Well, let me say this then. I'm going to blow your minds, everyone. I wonder if that culture, they probably have a certain genetic component in common because they're from the same region. I wonder if they have that yellow blue color blindness genetically where they see everything as bluer. Like it would not surprise me. That's a good question. I'm going to have to go review the studies that they've done on that. And see if they like considered genetic because the, the studies I'd seen had all approached it from the, the concept of just language and whether or not we have a concept for it. But if your culture, if your culture had this rare genetic mutation where you saw all the blues differently, you would certainly think blues were <laughs> different. I don't know. That's just, that's just me guessing, but I had no idea that was a thing. So anyway. Fascinating. I have been doing something new and fun for exercise. Oh, right. I want to get this. I want to hear about it. Tell me. I love it. And they're not a sponsor. This is just legitimately a product that I'm using and liking. So we're, you know, we're not endorsing them, but I kind of like them. If we could get them as a sponsor, that'd be great. I really want to try. Wait, so tell me, tell me, tell me. Bellicon. I got a Bellicon rebounder. Tell me more. And I'm jumping on it and it's so much fun. I want one. Tell me more. 
you just bounce on it. And I just bounce and bounce and bounce. How big is it? I don't know, like three feet across. Well, not three feet. I'm not sure. I got the smallest one. I can't remember. Whatever the smallest one is on their website. They're not cheap. And I wanted to put it in a certain location. And this one was just like behind the sofa. So I can like, if I've been doing a lot of Facebook admining and I need a break, I'll go jump on it and like watch TV. I really... I want one. Well, it has a lot of the same benefits of like a vibration plate, but you, you know, you're bouncing up and down. So you're like at zero gravity when you're in the up position and it's just so much fun. I mean, you know, you know, listeners know the type of things I like to do for exercise, hula hooping, <laughs> the vibration plate and now rebounding. I just think I would really like that because I love the vibration plate and I know it actually does passively they say passively, you know, you know, it's passive exercise, which is fantastic, but I would love that extra, like me actually contributing movement to it as well. So I, the rebounder could be great. It's so much fun. And after I did it, I really could feel it in my abs. Like after jumping on it, after the, the first, you know, couple of days that I had it, I could really feel, I was like, Ooh, my abs feel like they got a workout, which, you know, just from jumping. Anyway, I love it. So Bellicon, it is like the the Mercedes of um, rebounders, but man, I love it. I've had cheap ones before and they never really kept their place and, you know, I would get rid of them eventually. But this one, I think it's here to stay. Just like the vibration plate never left my life. I know somebody posted today in my group about wanting to know about the vibration plate. Yeah, it's amazing. The things that work stay. Right. That's exactly right. Some things come and go. Like I had an exercise bike that came and went, you know, I've had treadmills that came and went, but the vibration plate has stayed around ever since I bought one. I've had one, you know, the hula hoop. I don't pull that out as much. Although Chad was cleaning the gutters last weekend and I was helping him and I was just making sure he didn't fall off the ladder and handing him the bucket when he needed it. So I was just kind of standing there and I went and got my hula hoop and I was standing in the yard hula hooping. Love it. I should get a hula hoop. I think I will. They're so much fun. This is a weighted hula hoop. I talk about it in Delight on Deny. But I just, I like to, you know, I'm not the organized sports person. I'm not going to go for a jog. I like to have fun. And when I was a kid, I loved jumping on, you know, the neighbor's trampoline. And I still love jumping on a trampoline. It's also good for the aging woman's pelvic floor. FYI. I don't think I've ever said pelvic floor in public before, but. (laughs) I don't think I've ever said it. I think I've just heard it. Pelvic floor. Now I've said it. Actually, two different books that I've been reading in preparation for my other podcast both talked about the similar concept of movement and how today half the time we're not moving. And then when we are moving, it's like (laughs) one of the books called it, it's like they said it's like the processed food equivalent of movement because it's like processed movement. So rather than us, you know, moving naturally and like moving our whole body and like twisting and like, you know, like engaging every part, we go and we like exercise. It's like one little part and it's like not natural, you know, it's like not natural movement. Well, that's interesting. I've never thought about that before, but you're right. Yeah, I hadn't either. And they were saying that that's one of the reasons, you know, people do all these workouts and exercise, but it's not really contributing to health all that much because it's just isolated it's not engaging the whole system. So, and then one of the other books was talking all about the role of the fascia and its relation to movement. And apparently, I think we talked about this before, but they hadn't even discovered the fascia until pretty recently. Now, I always say fascia. Oh, it probably is fascia. I don't know. But yeah, it's that connective tissue that's right under the skin. Mm-hmm. And it's all throughout our body. And whenever they would do like with cadavers, you know, like they would kind of just discard it because they didn't think it was like metabolically active or, you know, they didn't think it was like a factor in anything. They thought it was just kind of like gel stuff. But now they've realized that it actually is like super important, like as far as like energy, metabolism, hydration of the body. I mean, it's fascinating. It's like an active organ basically. And it it requires movement kind of like, you know, we talk about how the the lymph system requires, as people do like dry brushing and stuff like that. So it also requires actual movement. Right. And I, I think jumping on a rebounder is a great way to get that all going too. It's just, and it just feels so fun. It just feels joyful. You know, I want to do something that feels joyful. No, I love it. And it made me so happy was because I always do these like really weird stretching and like twisting. Like when I'm like 
standing in line. Like I just do all these weird things that I don't care. I'm like, people probably think like, who is she? And like when I'm walking on the treadmill, I like do all these really weird, like the very strange movements that I do. And then in the book, <laughs> they have all these exercises that you can do for, to engage your fascia. And I was following it like step-by-step. Step. It was like, okay, like do like put your hand this way and do this. It was literally like the exact movements I've been doing, like that I was been naturally doing. I was like, wow, that makes sense. I'll put a link. I, I should talk, say what it is. So this book is called Quench. It's all about hydration and the hydration through diet, as well as the importance of fashion, and how it relates to hydration. So I'm bringing them on the podcast, but I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then the process movement was from a book I can't say yet because it's not out. Oh, very fun. To happen. Anyways, I have one quick question that I just want to get your thoughts on. It doesn't have to be like a 10 minute tangent, but um, I was contemplating the nature of health benefits from like vegan diets. Because I was thinking about the whole healthy bias user aspect, which I think... Oh, yeah, that's huge, I think, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, so for you, for listeners, you know, that's basically the idea that, I mean, I think this is, I honestly think this is probably the biggest thing as far as like the whole, not the biggest thing. I think there's a lot going on with like meat being tied to health problems. I think one of the issues, though, is that just in general, people are eating meat. Like people who are following vegetarian and vegan diets are typically coming to it from a perspective of they're like the type that are like the quote healthy type. Like that's like they're shopping at health food stores, they're doing exercise, like that draws that type of people. Whereas like people who are eating meat are usually eating more of a mixed diet. In any case, I was contemplating, do you think one of the reasons, one of the factors and the reasons people might experience health, long-term health, on long-term vegan and vegetarian diets is because the type of people who can digest that amount of plants as their like main, you know, energy source would insinuate they have a really great microbiome that's good at digesting those plants as an energy source. Well, yeah, I do think that if you have a, a gut microbiome that's really good at digesting plants, then you thrive on plants. I have one of those gut microbiomes. But I actually, I, we may not agree with, with this, but I think that we're supposed to have a gut microbiome that's really good at digesting all those plants. No, I, I agree. Like grains and everything. Yeah, well, because I haven't seen anybody else bring this up before. Because yes, I think it's like, you know, some people's gut microbiomes are suited well and some people's are not. But I'm wondering if that's a factor in, we see like great longevity in these, you know, plant-based diets. Is there the factor that clearly they've, they found a diet that works well with their microbiome that is plant-based? And if that's the case, I mean, yes, maybe the health is all coming from the food and the plants, but... The relationship between having that thriving microbiome might be one of the main primary reasons for their longevity and health. Because I think people often go to low carb. A lot of people who gravitate to low carb are the people who struggled with gut microbiome issues, insulin sensitivity issues, metabolic issues. That's why they're going to low carb to like fix that. Whereas I think, so they're not going to go to vegetarianism and veganism because for a lot of those people, it's not going to work for them. So that type of people is not going to attract the metabolically sick, the microbiome sick type of people. It's not going to attract that type of people. So the people thriving on it are going to be the people who have the microbiome to thrive on it. So it's a self-perpetuating system and has factors beyond just the actual food. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. You tend to want to eat in a way that makes you feel good and that works well with your body. And so if you've got the gut microbiome that feels good, you know, from eating that way, you're going to eat that way. Yeah. I just think there's so many factors involved. Like I've just been thinking about it because I've been listening to so many interviews and they'll just make these blanket, blanket statements about vegetarian and veganism versus meat diet, meat diets or diets, including meat. And I'm just like, you can't make those blanket statements. Like you just can't. Like, I want to talk to them and I want to be like, how can you say this? I mean, you can you can say it, but like, how can you really? It's like how I loved having Wade and what's his partner's name? I can't remember. Wade and Matt. They're amazing. Wade and Matt. Yeah. From Bioptimizers. That is one of my very favorite episodes we've ever had because Wade and Matt are thriving 
on diets that are 180 from each other. And they both respect each other's approach. They understand why Wade does better on the vegetarian and why Matt does better on the keto. And they recognize that the two of them have different bodies. And instead of like, well, yeah, I, I like Matt, but he eats in a way that's terrible. That's not what Wade says. Wade says, yeah, I like Matt and he eats in a way that works better for his body. Matt doesn't bash Wade for being a vegetarian. He recognizes that Wade does great as a vegetarian. That's what I want to see in the entire health and wellness and nutrition community is the stopping of the dogma that is all of you are so wrong and I'm the one who's right. And then the other aspect, I know the whole environmental aspect comes into it as well. And I am super passionate about that as well. The thing about it though, is that I don't think comprehensively, I did not anticipate going this direction, but Comprehensively, I personally believe the thing that's most suitable for the environment long-term is sustainable agriculture and farming practices in line with the natural world as an ecosystem. And honestly, a completely plant-based diet isn't that. Like the amount of resources and everything that goes into creating like a completely plant-based like farming system. I actually heard the other day, did you know it actually kills more living beings if you take into account like insects, birds, like... You're talking about agriculture? Mm-hmm. Overall, like entities, then if you had sustainable agricultural raising practices that included animals, because you would have like pasture-raised animals and you're not wiping out habitats. And this isn't even like a huge passion of mine. I don't know why. It's like a day of passion for me, I guess. I guess I don't want to talk about there's like the moral aspect to it as well, but... And the other thing is we have this monocropping. Okay, I should probably stop. <laughs> yeah, we could go on and on. But really, it's just the bottom line is that we both agree that we're all different. We have a different gut microbiome. We have different DNA. We have different, you know, that's our genetics, our DNA, our background. And we also are in different points in our lives where one thing might do well at one point and not in another. And like right now, wine is not working very well for me. It's, I can't sleep and I'm so sad. Like, you know, I had two glasses of wine last night and uh, my eyes popped open at 2 a.m. And I've realized that at the season of my life, wine is not working well for me. And it, it did for so long. I hear this from a lot of ladies going through menopause, by the way. Jen, you are going to, so you know the book I just talked about that I can't talk about? Yeah. Oh my gosh, you're going to adore it. It's all about, it's all about this. It's like the first book I've read where I actually feel okay about having these different seasons of my life. Like, oh my goodness, Jen, you're going to love it. Well, when we get off the air, you're going to have to tell me what it is. Okay. It's fantastic. But we really do have different seasons in our lives. And so, you know, when I wrote Delay, Don't Deny, I was pretty much having a glass of Prosecco every single day. I was sleeping great. And now I'm at a different point. And I just can't. I mean, I might have to stop drinking wine completely because, you know, I know it's, it's, we're recording this on a Saturday, but I was awake from two till three 30, could not go back to sleep. Whereas every other night this week, I didn't drink wine at all. I slept through the night. It's really, really apparent, you know, since I've been only drinking wine on weekends, it's, it's obvious. So I'm very sad about it, but I think it's, you know, just related to the season of my life. So got to accept it. Hi friends. I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right. We're talking pounds of meat for free, plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood, there's a lack of transparency, it can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door. And they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild caught. Their beef is 100% grass-fed and 100% grass-finished. 
Their chicken is free range and organic and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's fillets are divine. Way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say. Because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. Butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast with code ifpodcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. Okay. You're going to love this book. Okay. Well, yay. It's fabulous. It has very interesting opinions on intermittent fasting as well. Let me think if you'll like the opinions on it. I will actually be very interested. We can have, after it comes out, we can have a very interesting discussion about it. Okay. Let's do. Perfect. And normally I could say what it was, but I feel like I already said things from it that I probably, you know, like if I hadn't said content in it. Yeah, because it's not out yet. That's fine. Okay. Shall we jump into other things for today? I should probably start saying that other things instead of everything since we talked about a lot already. And, you know, all the things we talked about, you know, I don't like to read reviews. And I one popped up in our email and someone said they hated that we're having a bunch of chit chat. But I mean, everything we just chit chatted about is relevant. I mean, I don't read reviews, but this one came in an email. Yeah, for listeners, we get this email every week that sh- that like picks out two random reviews. So we it's like in your face. <laughs> and shows them to us. And I can't help but look at them because there they are. But we talked about how we're exercising. We talked, I mean, we talked about food. <laughs> Those are all quite things that could be as questions too. So I don't think it's random chit chat. No, I was actually thinking about that. I was like, this stuff. We talk about, I mean, it's like, cause like literally throughout the week, I'll be doing all this research and then things come up about fasting, diet, food. I'm like, this is stuff that our audience, you know, would love to hear. And so then I get excited about a recording cause I can like, I know I can talk about what I learned this week that relates to all of this. When I got the Bellicon, I'm like, Ooh, I can't wait to talk about it on the podcast because even, I mean, they're not sponsoring us. It's not an ad. This is just me with something I like talking about it you know, we're a health-minded community listening to this podcast. And so someone may be inspired to go check out Rebounding. Yeah, no, I agree. So anyway, I'm sorry if if it's perceived as chit-chat, but not every podcast is going to be right for every person. And that's okay too. This one's very much Jen and Melanie in our lives and intermittent fasting and answering your questions. And that's it. (laughs) We are who we are. I mean, we could, we could spend an hour just saying, going through every single thing that will break your fast every week. That could be the show. That'd be pretty boring. (laughs) It'd be pretty boring. (laughs) Cinnamon, stevia, water, coffee. Okay. Anyways. On that note, here's some positive feedback that you're going to read to us from Carolyn. This is a real positive feedback. I'm not making up this email. Sorry. I'm just saying that because it's really, really nice. But it has a really good idea at the end. So it's from Carolyn. The subject is thank you and follow-up feedback. Carolyn says, I am a self-admitted technology struggler and cannot figure out how to leave a review. But if I could, maybe because I don't have iTunes, here's what it would read. I feel like I can't even read it because it's so nice. Okay, she's thank you, by the way, Carolyn. This is really, really nice. She says, I cannot say enough about this podcast and its two hosts. They hold all of the, I'm going to start crying. Okay. They hold all of the qualities I myself aspire to possess. And Carolyn, I'm sure you hold these as well. She says they're both intelligent, inspirational, gracious, compassionate, genuine, passionate, 
curious, hilarious, endearing, resilient against naysayers. The list goes on and on. If the inhabitants of our world were to be represented by a tapestry, Jen and Melanie would be vibrant, brilliant threads shining a beautiful, radiant light in all who choose to be open to a whole new way of looking at wellness. You both deserve all the amazing things. Can I just say, Caroline, that is like the nicest thing anybody has ever said to me. Thank you. And I'm going to try not to cry right now, but that's really beautiful. And hopefully every now I feel like I'm accepting an Oscar, but um, what she said in there is just what I just would love for everybody. You know, like this beautiful tapestry of love and intelligence and joy. And I just love it. Anyways, she says, I was beyond thrilled when you read my question on this episode. I am happy to report that I am now enrolled in the May 2020 Institute for Integrated Nutrition. That's IIN course. So we, we had her recently on an episode and we will put a link to that in the show notes. She says, it was like a special wink from the universe when I heard my question that Monday morning as I was juving, and it has just reaffirmed everything I already know about this lifestyle. I think because you two have been such trailblazers that you should organize an IF summit. You have enough followers and connections to so many experts in the field, and I know I, for one, would travel anywhere if it were to happen. Peace, love, and happiness to you both. I love this email. And it's funny, when she first said this, I thought she meant an online summit. But then when she said that she would travel anywhere, I was like, oh, she means like a summit in real life. So I was thinking we could talk like, what would that even look like an intermittent fasting summit? What do you think that would look like as far as like the food and like the fasting? Like, how would that be organized? Well, I think there would just be options, right? People would, you know, depending on your window or, or what you wanted to do, you know, you could have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, people that have the early window or if they're on an up day of the alternate daily fasting and people could just pick and choose. So like you think all the options would be available for all the meals, but it would be like very much like you don't have, you know, like it's always like the schedule. It would be very much like you come to what works for you. Yeah. You know, there would be breakfast for the early people and then lunch and then dinner. I would probably do lunch and dinner on a, well, it depends. If I had to be active and, well, I probably wouldn't do lunch because it, it, well, if I had to speak, I wouldn't want to speak after eating. And if I had to sit through presentations, I mean, that sounds like a, a drag. If I got to go to attend presentations, is that better? I wouldn't want to be tired from eating or, you know, like feeling draggy. So I would probably just do dinner. There probably be, so the coffee stations would be like just black coffee. <laughs> there wouldn't be any sweeteners. Although what if people want like coffee after dinner? I mean, I would have it. Yeah, th- exactly. I think you could have it for people who are not in the fasting time. So you know, like when we go on the Delay Don't Deny cruise, you know, we're having our third annual cruise this June. If anybody's interested, search Delay Don't Deny cruise group on Facebook, put those words in, it'll get you there. And there's still room on the ship. As long as there's still room on the ship, you can join us. But you have to book it through our cruise group to be part of the group. Otherwise, you can't go to the events. That's that's really important. But people just do whatever. We're not stuck to a schedule. Some days we go to brunch and we always have dinner. But some people have early dinner or an afternoon dinner. I mean, everybody's doing their own thing. I love it. Because it's flexible. It would definitely be a world of no food judgment. Well, exactly. We're not going to judge your food. And you know, there, there are vegetarians in the group. There are people who prefer to eat keto in the group. And there's always something that fits what you're eating. Love it. And if it was a summit, then I guess we would have like speakers and stuff. It does sound fun. I don't want to organize one of those though. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of work. Me, me, me too. I can't. I can't right now. I will go to one. If someone wants to host one and put it together, I will attend. <laughs> but yeah. I don't want to organize it. I'll be part of it. Maybe down the line in a different in a different season of both of our lives. Exactly. So I don't think people realize just with like all of these things, like how much all of this stuff takes a lot of energy. <laughs> I feel like for anything that's like in the creative world, you don't until you do it, you don't realize how much energy it takes. How many details, tiny details there are. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is a lot. So I love that email. Thank you, Carolyn, for one of the most beautiful emails I've read. And I didn't cry, but I almost did. Okay. Yay. It was great. All right. Now we have some feedback from Philippa. Is that how you say it? Philippa? Philippa? I think I would say Philippa. 
All right. So she says, thank you and follow-up feedback. Hi, Jen and Melanie. I just wanted to drop you a line to provide a follow-up on me. You responded to my question on episode 92. I asked about whether IF could work for normal BMI people. At that time, I was four months into IF. Today, I'm happy to say I'm a year and four months into IF and I feel great. I really wanted to thank you for your supportive words and advice. There was absolutely no judgment in your responses, just empathy, encouragement, and great advice. I've learned so much over the past year, and I'm still learning every day about this lifestyle and how to support and nourish my body. I tried all of your advice. I tightened my window, I read the yoga of eating, and I loosened up my restrictive mindset. The first big thing I discovered after I stopped and really listened to my body, helped by some wonderful guests you had on your podcast, was fasting 19 hours or more a day was too stressful on my body at the time. I needed to deal with chronic stress and other issues in my life and not push too hard on the fasting front. For most of 2019, I pulled right back to a 16-8 average protocol and then worked up to averaging 17 hours fasting a day. I started seeing a functional MD and have been supplementing with vitamins and minerals to support my thyroid and manage stress. Over the last month, I've been able to work back up to a 19.5 protocol, and suddenly my clothes are feeling looser. I'm feeling comfortable in my own skin. And the great thing is, I don't know what I weigh, and I don't particularly care, as I've stopped weighing, thanks to you both. There have been so many non-scale victories for me. From month four of IF, I have had normal monthly menstrual cycles. This has not happened to me for 12 years. For all of my 30s, I had... A, novulation, which would mean that she's not ovulating, caused by stress, which I discovered when I stopped taking the contraceptive pill at age 30 to try for a baby. I had seven years of fertility and IVF treatments before I finally became pregnant with my son at age 37. I wish I had known about IF back then. I'm going to stop for just a minute. This is me talking. See, we hear all the, the bad info that you can Google about intermittent fasting. They're all like, oh, destroys women's you know fertility. But here she is. She actually finally has normal menstrual cycles from month four of IF on after not having them. I just thought that was important. Yeah. Speaking to that, we actually had another question, not in the lineup for today, but I think we'll, we can pull it next because it relates to all this while we're talking about it, because I actually have some follow-up thoughts about all of this as well. So I'll let you continue, but we, we, we can circle back to that. So, All right. But anyway, I just thought that was important because every single day, somebody's like, I read that intermittent fasting is bad for women. <laughs> there are a lot of studies on intermittent fasting and PCOS and showing a lot of beneficial effects. And I'm like, nobody, nobody ever mentions those studies. Yeah, well, I do, <laughs> but we do. But yeah, and I actually had an OBGYN on intermittent fasting stories who works with women specifically with PCOS. I think even including herself. And I think she, I mean, I know she does intermittent fasting, but I think, I can't remember. I think she also has PCOS, but she's finding that patients are becoming pregnant after starting intermittent fasting after they were infertile before. So anyway, it's such a complicated thing, but it always irritates me when people are like, I heard that women shouldn't, you know, do this. And again, it's a, it's like, it's like the blanket statement we were talking about with the food stuff. They also said women shouldn't wear pants and women shouldn't run and women shouldn't. I mean, you know, all the women shouldn't statements. We've heard them forever. And here we are running and wearing pants, <laughs> running while wearing pants, you know, anyway. All right. So I'm going to keep going. She said, my eyesight has improved. My skin has improved. People constantly comment on how young I look. I have better mental clarity. And finally, I am no longer controlled by food or calorie counting, and with this has come freedom. See, now I'm going to start to cry. <laughs> this is the crying episode brought to you by New Tears, <laughs> by, by Kleenex. Anyway, no. She says, I continue to enjoy all your podcasts, and like so many others, I'm so grateful for you both opening up your lives to all of us. Thank you and fast on. I loved it. That was so beautiful. I love it as well. And she, this was feedback because wait, she had, oh, so her original question, I will have to revisit that 92. Her original question was whether or not I could work for people with normal BMI. Right. And it's working amazingly. Yep. I love it. I love it so much. And we're so happy for you, Philippa. And then we actually, so I would love to pull in another question that we actually had on, had on the lineup for next week. 
because it ties into this. But before we do that, awesome. <laughs> no, you don't need to say more. That was fabulous. Okay. That's from my my heart. Anyways, so the question I was thinking we could throw in, we have a question from Laura. The subject is menopause, dot, 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 question mark. So the question says, dear Jen and Melanie, I am a committed IFer even without math even without massive success. I started IF in April 2019, and I've continued steadily ever since. I have lost 15 to 20 pounds over nine months, but seem to be stuck at the 170 mark. 140 is my goal. Oddly, I am not nearly as frustrated as I could or should be, being that it has been months, like five months, hovering around 170. I walk regularly two to four miles, four times a week, and am an active mom of three and 44 years old. Fortunately, my friends say I look great and my clothes fit differently, and that keeps me positive. Before we go on to the rest, do you have any thoughts about that, Jim? All right. I'm taking notes since I don't have it in front of me. So she's lost 15 to 20 pounds in seven months. I'll just say it again. Okay. Yeah. So basically, so she she lost 15 to 20 pounds over nine months. She started in April, 2019. She's stuck at the 170 mark. Her goal is 140. But what we can speak to is, so it's been months, five months that she hasn't lost any more weight. That's despite walking regularly two to four miles, four times a week. She's an active mom, 44 years old. Did she say what her eating window is or what her regimen looks like? She did not. See, that's something to look at. We don't know. We have a lot of people in the Facebook groups who talk about not losing weight, and and it turns out they're doing something like 16-8, and they, they need a shorter window to see weight loss. So I just don't know. Yeah, she's not even really asking us about that. What I found really interesting was she's she's saying that she looks great, her clothes fit differently. She's like she's not actually disheartened by the lack of what of weight loss. Like she's going to keep at it. She says she's not nearly as frustrated as she could or should be. So yeah, but so we don't know what you're doing, Laura, but I mean, I think you're at a really great place since you're so positive, like, and, you know, feeling great. So there's definitely a lot to work with. So I just want to throw in there that if you're on a plateau for five months and it's it's not where you want to be and you want to lose more weight, you are going to just have to tweak something um, to see what makes a difference for you. And there's so many things you could tweak food choices, window length, your fasting protocol. Instead of a daily eating window approach, you could do an up-down day approach. So many things to tweak. But if what you're doing right now, you're not losing weight, then it is more of a maintenance protocol for this season of your life. So you're going to have to shake something up to lose the weight. Oh my goodness. I can't wait until we can talk about that other book. Okay. She says, so to the question, my youngest is nine. And I had the Marina IUD in for eight years after she was born. I got it removed January 2019, one year ago, and have not had a period since. I got my hormone levels tested and everything indicated that I was in menopause, not perimenopause. Again, she's 44. Not perimenopause, but full-on menopause. It took me many months to wrap my 44-year-old head around this change and finally come to terms with it, and bam, One year after removal, my period shows up. Not a dark and dusty period, but bright and vibrant period. Apparently, my uterus is aging backwards and loves IF. I was blaming my super slow weight loss to my body going through the change, adjusting to IF, losing weight, etc., and it only being able to deal with so much at a time. Now I'm thinking that maybe it is an altogether different change. Maybe the marina hormones took forever to leave and my own hormones needed time, a year perhaps, to adjust. I hope that now my body is more receptive to losing weight again. Have either of you heard of women like me? Is a returning period after a whole year of no cycle unheard of? Could IF be the reason? Have a great weekend, ladies, and keep up the IF chatter. I really enjoy learning from both of you daily, Laura. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I had experience with Marina IUD. And here's what's interesting. Now, there's a whole like perfect storm of things that were happening for me at that time. So I can't say it was this, it was that, it was the other. But I had been maintaining a, a lower weight for a few years, but this is also in the diet pill years. You know, I've talked about that before. This was, you know, prior to 2005. I think this was actually spring, fall, spring 2004, 2005, I had a, a Marina ID put in 
also was kind of tapering off the diet pills because I realized it wasn't good for my body, but I hadn't quit them completely. So I'm, I'm trying to remember that whole time period because it was a long time ago. But as soon as I had the marina put in, I immediately had five pounds of weight gain just immediately that grew to 10. Then I had it removed because I was like, oh, forget this, you know. And then after that, I gained 50 pounds in a year and a half. Now, during that period of time, I stopped taking the diet pills and I also moved. It was a stressful kind of a move. So I had a lot of things going on at one time, but I also feel like my hormones got a little bit out of whack at that time. So I can't separate any of it and I can't say it was this, it was that, but I had a very interesting period of weight gain right after that. So I don't know. I think anything that could mess with our hormones can have a prolonged effect. And the fact that you had no period for over a year after having it removed and then boom, it's back. That does show that something was going on hormonally. So that's just something to to throw out there. You know what that could be? I don't know. We do sometimes hear of women who were in menopause and then their cycles return. Now here's a caution. You should always see your doctor. So Laura, I'm sure you saw your doctor, but you should always go to your doctor if this happens. If you have not had a period in over a year and you're in menopause and then your period returns, see your doctor because there are certain health conditions that can cause this that need to be checked out, you know, some, some negative things. But we do hear it with people who are doing intermittent fasting. And so, you know, clearly something's going on in our bodies hormonally. And so just because that happens doesn't mean it's something that should scare you, but it is definitely something to get checked out. You know, we've talked about this before, Melanie, but the whole idea of while you're losing fat, your body is releasing not just the fat, but also toxins that were stored in the fat cells. And so, you know, there's a train of thought that hormones could be in there too. You know, if you've been taking birth control, your body has these synthetic hormones and you could, your body may have stashed some things away. You know, I haven't found a medical study on that, even though I've looked, but that's a theory that perhaps, you know, as your body's releasing the fat, you're also stirring up those old things that had been stashed away in your fat cells. So just something to keep in mind. So when we received this question, the very first thing I thought of was some of the work of David Sinclair. And for listeners who are not familiar with David Sinclair, he is one of the figures I most admire as far as the work he's doing. He is the go-to guy for genetics, how things relate to longevity as far as genetics, epigenetics, fasting, calorie restriction, all of these things. He became sort of famous because he made the whole resveratrol resveratrol compound and red wine popular. He, so he's basically the reason people are like, drink red wine to live long. Like the reason people think that is basically because of him. And there's clinical literature behind that. Obviously that's what he's doing. He runs one of, I think like the longevity at Harvard, he's something. So he's amazing. I had him on my other podcast. I will put a link to that episode in the show notes. But in his book, Lifespan, he talks about a compound called NMN, and I promise this is all going to tie in and relate to fasting and answer the question, I promise, which ironically, I did not plan this, but yesterday I had Dr. Chris Shade, the founder of Quicksilver Scientific on my other podcast, recorded, so it's not released yet. But that whole episode was about NAD in the body. I realize these are a lot of words with no context. <laughs> NAD is basically a master regula regulator in our body of health everything, to put it very lightly. It's a huge factor in aging. We need NAD levels to basically be functioning. Definitely check out the episode that I'm airing with Dr. Chris Shade because we go into the science of it. When your NAD gets low, everything kind of falls off the wagon. So NMN is a supplement that you can take that is the precursor to NAD. I promise this will relate. And it can help boost NAD levels. David Sinclair actually said in his book that... A, NMN, he thinks it's one of the most important supplements a person can take. I personally have been starting taking it now every single day since Dr. Shade sent me, sent me a sample after our first interview, which I will also put a link to that first interview. I've experienced amazing benefits from it. But one of the stories from David Sinclair's lab was that his one of his students came up to him one day and said that he needed to talk to him privately. And David was like, oh, well, what's wrong? And then the student basically said that his mom was in menopause and started taking NMN and her period came back. 
I've never once had a period discussion with my son. <laughs> Hello, son. I've started my period. I cannot even imagine. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, it's really funny in the book because, okay, the way he, cause I said it, I, the way he says it in the book is he said, basically the, the, the student came in and was like, seemed really, you know, something was like clearly wrong. And he was like, I need to talk to you. And David was like, what's wrong? And he's like, it's about my mom. And Dave was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, whatever is happening, you know, take all the time you need. And and then the student was like, no, it's not that. <laughs> he was like, he was like, you know, and then he said something. And the reason I'm saying it like this is because David actually narrates the book and this is the way he says it. And he says that the, the student was like, you know, that he came back after the NMN. And then David was like, oh my goodness, like, can you, can you ask, I, we have to know more about this. Can you ask more questions? And the student was like, please don't make me talk to her about it. I cannot, I cannot. Here's her number. <laughs> they said exactly the son was like, no, please don't make me talk to her about it. But in any case, so the reason I talk about all this is they're finding that clearly boosting NAD levels in the body can have profound, profound effects on so many systems and everything goes together like hormonally. There's so many factors, like Jim was saying, there's so many factors that affect our hormones that it is quite possible that you can enter these seeming periods of menopause where you've lost your cycle, but it might not actually be permanent if you can get the body back to a state of balance. You know, if it was a premature instigation of that loss of cycle, it is possible that it can come back given the circumstances are in place. So like with David's work, he was finding, NA, you know, boosting NAD did that. Guess what else boosts NAD? Intermittent fasting, exercise, cold exposure. I'm not saying intermittent fasting brings back your period. I'm not saying NAD necessarily brings back your period. I'm not saying any of that. All I'm saying is that the body is very complicated. This hormonal system is very complicated, but definitely stress. And I'm using that word stress to encompass the chronic stress overall, all on the body. If it's too much, things shut down or they just get really wonky. And one of those is your horm your hormones and doing things that support the body, that bring back a state of resilience, that boost your NAD levels. And so for you, and this is what I wanted to talk about earlier, because we were talking about how fasting, you know, people will say it's bad for women. It's good for women. I think it really depends on so many things. It depends on how is your body responding to the fasting. If the fasting is too much of a stress for your body, I don't think it's going to help because it's too much of a stress and adding too much stress to stress is not going to help. If on the other hand, despite the fact that it is a temporary stress, if it is the therapeutic amount of stress that is actually going to make your body rebound, grow stronger, recover, if doing the fasting is cutting out other stressors, you know, by not exposing your body to inflammatory foods 24 seven, by not having an overexposure to food energy in general. So if you find the fasting period that is supporting your body, that's creating the hormetic stress that we want in the fasting window with adequate recovery and nutrition in the feeding window, I don't find it at all shocking that women can experience beneficial hormonal changes from it. I don't find that shocking. So I don't think it's a blanket statement. I think it's a huge possibility and only you can know. You have to find what works for you. But um, that's my thoughts on that. Very good thoughts. Fascinating. Very fascinating. There's so much that goes on within our bodies that you don't even know what's happening in there. I will say, Jen, I know you're not a big fan on anymore, like trying mini supplements or anything, but if there's one supplement you ever want to try out of curiosity for like long-term health benefits, this NMN. I mean, like as, as the precursor to NAD, which seems to be the master regulator of so many things. Like we, we think like, oh, glutathione is our master antioxidant. Guess what's driving what, how much glutathione you have? NAD. Like so much of it goes back to NAD. So it's fascinating. For listeners, if you would like to get the NMN I use, I do use the one by Quicksilver Scientific. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash quicksilver. That link will get you 10% off that or any of the other products they have. They have so many products. When I go on that website, I'm like, oh, I want everything because it's all um, like liposomal. So it's like all in forms that are really absorbed by the body. So you get the full, the full bioavailability. But yeah, so many things. I was going to say just obviously those two people I mentioned, Dr. Chris Shade and David Sinclair, are huge fans of fasting. Well, that was, that was a very interesting story. We just, you know, things, things happen and get it checked out if you're worried, but 
Yeah, I love to think that we're turning back the clock to a more youthful state. Oh, yeah. Yeah, David Sinclair thinks we can, I mean, he thinks we can age backwards, literally. It's almost haunting. I love thinking about that, the idea that that we're going to age differently than if we were not doing intermittent fasting. I mean, you know, I think about it like like a car. You know, if you have a, a car and you drive that car, you know, you drive it hard and you always are revving the accelerator and you're slamming on the brakes and you're just, you know, driving that car like a teenager who doesn't know how to drive a car, it's going to wear out versus if you, you know, keep that car and don't drive it so hard. I mean, anyway, the whole point of the car is the, di- you know, digesting, you know, if you're always constantly eating and digesting and making that our bodies have to work versus, you know, not putting all those, you know, miles on the body. I don't know. That analogy might be failed. Is that a failed analogy? No, no. I think, I think it's, or if you like drive the car and never get the oil changed, right? Like, and never do any, you know, get new brakes and fasting is where we're getting the oil changed and where we're getting the brakes and where, you know, anyway. And I, I think it's, I honestly think it's the epigenetic changes and I can actually tie this into your car analogy because we like to think, oh, it's because you're not eating. So your body has time now to go and repair all these other things, which is true. But the mechanism of action there is the fasting turns on these genes that go and do all of this. And so the key is the key is turning on these genes. And um, that's why I think it's just so profound. And I think that's the reason people can see changes so fast is because these changes occur on like the epigenetic level. Like those, they can happen fast. It's fascinating. And I'd love to be part of the, the experiment that is intermittent fasting because we really are on the forefront. We are the long-term study, right? It's just crazy because like, I feel like it's the thing. It's like the, I, you know, for health, because it's like the one thing, because I talked about taking NMN and talked about all these other things and cold showers, but like people don't like doing, I love cold showers, but the fasting is the one thing that anybody can obvi- can integrate into their life every day. And it's not doing something. It's not doing something, you know? So that's why anybody can do it because it's not doing something. It's not like you have to go, despite the fact that I really actually think everybody should start supplementing with NMM, it's not, you don't have to buy anything. So it's accessible. It's accessible to all. And it will save you money unless you're like me and then you buy better food. So and there was some girl, she's like, I'm mad at you, Jen. And it was, she wasn't really mad, but she's like, I have my wedding dress, you know, I'm getting married and now it's too big to even be altered. I'm like, sorry, not Sorry. <laughs> I'm I'm like, I'm sorry. And I'm thrilled for you at the same time. So, <laughs> so it's not saving her any money, but overall somebody actually, who was, oh, it was, I was in an article for CNET, the cheapskate, I think. Oh, I didn't even talk about that. Yeah. Did you read that? Well, both of us, we, we had like that and then the, the Fox thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But the guy talked about it from the perspective of how much money you could save from intermittent fasting. Rick Broida, I believe is his name, but it was, it was a great article about intermittent fasting and he interviewed me for it. He read Delight on Deny, but it was an article for CNET. You know, I told you, I think, I don't know why they haven't done this. I think there's a brilliant, because they say that it's too hard to do, that you can't do a blind IF study. I know how to do it. It's not hard. You know what you would do? I think it's so simple. You get a pill. It would have to be something completely inert. So it couldn't be a sugar pill, obviously. We'd have to fill it with something. I don't know what it would be filled with. And you tell them it can't be taken with food. Like you you make it so that it will automatically force them into an IF window. Oh, well, that's interesting. And they don't realize that it's, yeah. They think the study is testing the pill, but it's testing fasting. That's interesting. I just feel like this is a brilliant idea. (laughs) Not to say I'm brilliant, but I don't know why they haven't done that. Because I think that would be like the best. Because people think, oh, I can't fast. But like, honestly, okay, like all you'd have to do is, I guess the hard part, part, you would have to have two pills that they take one in the morning and one at night so that it, so that it would force a window. That's, that's what you'd have to do. And I don't think people would realize that they're being forced into a window if they're still getting to eat, you know, a late breakfast. You can make it so that it would force them into a window that's like nine to five, maybe. Yeah. That's an interesting idea. So, cause nine to five, the people could still squeeze in breakfast, lunch, and dinner if they wanted. You would say, take this pill at 5 PM and you know, you can't have food for a certain amount of time after, and then take a 
pill it. You can make it so like they can't have food for like a certain amount of time after so that hopefully they would be asleep and then they would take one in the morning and that would push their window so that they can't eat until later. You'd have to think about it, but I think it could be done. Oh yeah, I think so. That's a really good idea. And then we could put, you could put continuous glucose monitors on them if you wanted to make sure that if hopefully they didn't get up and eat in the middle of the night. Oh, (laughs) you would know. Because that would be the only thing. Yeah, that's true. So I think on these studies, it's really important moving forward to always have people on continuous glucose monitors because that's the only way you could really make sure they're not cheating. Oh yeah, you're right. That's true. You're right. Because they could claim they weren't eating, but then they really were. Mm Mm-hmm. That's how they monitored, we talked about that cell metabolism study on ADF. That's how they monitored the people on the 36-hour fast. Well, now I have like 10 million other things I want to talk about, but this has been great. (laughs) I guess I'll talk to you next week. All right. I'll talk to you then. Okay. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.